listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible Study Wednesday, July the 17th in the year of our Lord 2019. And for those individuals who are gathered around the table with others, let's take a look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Well, that's the feeding of the 5,000. What can we possibly learn from that? Now, I've said this a number of times, and I've been criticized for it, but nobody has given me any evidence that what I am saying is in error. And that is, I know of no miracle in the Bible that ever brought somebody to faith in Christianity. What? Well, how about the feeding of the 5,000? Well, let's make a distinction. Theology is the art of making distinctions. When somebody believes in Christianity, that's called a conversion from unbelief to faith. And that's what I'm talking about. I don't know of any miracle that ever did that. What we're often looking at with miracles is not that they go from unbelief to belief, but rather, through the miracle, they already are believers, and they recognize that the miracle is pointing to Jesus as the Savior. Now, that happens a lot, where people come to now believe in Jesus. They already believed in the Old Testament promises concerning the Messiah. They knew a lot of things from the Old Testament, but... He had not yet appeared. So we need to make a distinction between somebody who begins to believe that the Christian faith is the true faith in contrast to somebody who believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so let's kind of take a look at John chapter 6, entitled, Jesus Feeds the Five thousand. It says he went away to the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, part of the reason he did that was he was moving away from Jerusalem because there were those there who wanted to put him to death. And he knew it was not yet time for that to occur. So, He's in a more safe place, the Sea of Galilee area. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, the word sign in the Greek is semei. It really refers not only to miracles. And we're going to see that in a little bit. Jesus is going to make a big distinction here. But in this case... It does refer to the miracles of healing the sick, the lame, uh, the blind, uh, getting rid of demons. So we're now in verse 3 of chapter 6. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. That's a huge festival, of course, reminding us of what Moses did through God in taking the people through the Red Sea, leading them into the wilderness. And remember, 
They were really angry at God. They had no water. They had no bread. They had no meat. So God sends them manna, and he sends them birds to eat. And, of course, he supplies them with water. So this is really important that we understand this time frame for what Jesus does next. Lifting up his eyes then, Jesus, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, John, the writer to the Gospel of John, puts in a statement that we would not have known had he not said it. It's verse 6. Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. This shows again the divinity of Jesus knowing the future. Remember, when we talk about the omniscience of God, we're not just referring that he remembers the past, got a good memory, and he knows all things that are going on in the present. He also knows the future. In fact, much about the Messiah in the Old Testament is about the future. Pierced in hands and feet, the Lord going to lay on him the iniquity of us all. Whipped, pulled out the beard, all kinds of things are found in the Old Testament. That's God in his omniscience looking ahead and knowing how Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. So, he said this to test Philip. What does that mean? Philip should have said, Lord, we simply don't have enough food, so we're going to put everything in your hands. But Philip doesn't say that. He says, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Now, a denarius, denarius was about the amount of money a person would get for a day's wages. So this is a half year of wages, and yet that would not be enough because we later find out there are 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. But he does say there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, when I was at the seminary, this was a very liberal seminary, Concordia Seminary St. Louis at the time. They ended up becoming a seminex, seminary in exile. But a number of the profs did not believe the Bible. And we were reading one book that says, here's how this miracle occurred. And then showed it really wasn't a miracle. When people had gone out to see Jesus, they knew he was going up on the mountain. They knew they weren't going to have time to return to a restaurant or eat somewhere. So they all had taken some food with them, which they had under their robes. So when Jesus has this little boy willing to give his five barley loaves and two fish, this moved all the other people to take the food out under their robes, and to share it with others. That, that's how I was taught this miracle occurred. Of course, that totally contradicts the Bible because Jesus says, have the people sit down. 
And John reminds us there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So see, that's the number of the men. How many more women and children? Who knows? Then Jesus took the loaves. And it's not talking about the loaves from all 5,000 people, but rather from that little boy, five barley loaves. And when he had given thanks, see, that was the task of the religious leader in such a situation. And God gives thanks. Uh, By the way, the Greek word for that is Eucharisto. And remember, Jesus also gave thanks at the Lord's Supper. And that's why sometimes it's referred to as the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. There are a number of names for that precious sacrament. But Jesus gave thanks there also. Then, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, I remember... Uh, uh, a pastor had given a sermon on this, but hadn't made much about the 12 baskets. And afterwards, a woman asked him, well, isn't that referring back to the Old Testament with the 12 tribes where they received all the bread they wanted, the manna and the water and the birds for eating meat? And I've always remembered that because there's nothing in the Bible that doesn't have some kind of significance. This is why... Uh, Right now, uh, as I drive around to the various congregations I'm serving, I love listening to CDs of the Bible. I just finished going through the whole book of Jeremiah, and I was surprised how much I had either forgotten about what was in Jeremiah or how he put it. Uh, Every time you reread the Bible, you see new elements. I've often said to an individual, Buy two Bibles that are exactly alike. And then read the first one, may take you three, four months, and underline any important parts. Then three years later, pick up the second Bible. Now, I'm not saying you don't read the Bible in between, but three years later, pick up the second Bible, start reading it from the beginning, and underline important parts. And guess what you're going to find out? The underlinings are different. Oh, sometimes they're the same, but a lot of times they're different because you're going through new things three years later. And therefore, other passages of the Bible help you out. That, that's really true when you read the Psalms, which are the prayers of Jesus. And they are helpful in all kinds of situations. So I would say 12 baskets is, again, a reminder of Moses and feeding the people. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, when you first read that, you may get the impression, ah, see, here they came to faith. 
But we can't say this was faith in the Christian faith. And we can't really even say they now believe that Jesus was divine and he was the Messiah. They consider him a prophet, much like Moses. And what was Moses? He was kind of a prophet. He was also king or ruler of the people. And he was a priest leading in worship. And Jesus perceived that. Listen to verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Well, there's evidence that one would think after 5,000 plus people are fed with just a little bit of bread and fish, you would immediately say, this must be God. The disciples didn't even do that when they were in a boat. And in fact, the very next section, Jesus is walking on the water. And there's another one, though, that I like where he's asleep in the boat when there's a big storm. And after he stills the storm, they question among themselves, who is this? Who is this person? So even that didn't convince them about what had happened. Now, right after the feeding of the 5,000 is this Jesus walking on water. But I want to skip to verse 22 because of the point I'm trying to make. Verse 22, chapter 6 of John. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, see, they're trying to make him a bread king. They would hope that Jesus would be the prophet like Moses who would get rid of the enemies, maybe like Joshua went into Canaan, defeated everyone, like David who brought peace to the land, like Solomon restored the temple, got rid of the Romans possibly. So when they got to the other side of the sea, Rabbi, when did you come here? Because they hadn't realized he had walked on the sea. Verse 26. This is the key point I want to make. Jesus answered them. Truly, truly. Now, some translations as verily, verily, or amen, amen. In other words, he is going to make a big point. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, when you first read that, isn't Jesus mistaken? They did see the sign of the miracle of the loaves and the fish being multiplied. But here's where I want to get to that word for sign. It doesn't mean just miracles. It also means something else. When Jesus did miracles, 
It wasn't the miracle that was the important thing, but it was the sign to which the miracle was pointing. Uh, For example, when you go get your driver's license, they'll often give you some signs that are on the road. Uh, Maybe you see a curve or maybe it's a stop sign or something. Um, There was one time I got one wrong. Uh, It was something with a, a road going through the middle of the sign and I didn't realize what it meant. So you can see the sign, but not know what it meant. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You saw the signs, and you were astonished because you ate your full of the loaves, but you didn't recognize the sign as to what it was pointing to. So what are the miracles pointing to? Jesus uses the purpose of the miracles when the disciples of John the Baptizer come to him and say, are you the one we're looking for, waiting for, or is there somebody else? He says, go back and tell John that, and remember the list he gives? The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame What What's Jesus doing here? He's quoting the Old Testament to indicate that here is the evidence you need to know who the Messiah is, even raising people from the dead. And this is critical. So you have two kinds of people who lived in Palestine at that time. There were those who were looking for the Messiah or the Christ to restore Israel to its former grandeur. They didn't consider that Christ was going to be God or that he would have to die on the cross. Remember how the disciples were astonished when Jesus says he's going to go to Jerusalem in order to die and then be raised from the dead. Well, they just could hardly understand that. So that's one set of people. Then the other set are those who really do believe. And I, I, I think that Joseph and Mary... You know, Gabriel came to Mary, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, Simeon in the temple and Anna. I mean, there are a number of those who truly were believers. And when they saw the miracles of Jesus, it confirmed to them that he was the true Messiah. So this is really important to understand because there's a lot of so-called theologians out there who say, boy, if you could only have a miracle and then people would be convinced that Jesus is divine. And I don't see any miracle that ever convinced someone to become a Christian, although many miracles convinced them that he was the Messiah. And I would even put the resurrection from the dead in that category. If everyone in the world believed in the resurrection of the dead that Jesus did, none of them would go to heaven because that's not saving faith. That's historic faith. So trying to prove the resurrection is really a waste of time. Just like trying to prove that 5,000 people were really fed. Okay, so 5,000 people were fed. Jesus is coming. He's going to be a great bread king. 
No. This shows him to be the Messiah, the Savior. So saving faith isn't believing that Jesus died and rose, but that he died for my sins and he rose for my justification. And there's no evidence of that at all except blind faith in the Bible. So Jesus makes a big deal about this. As he continues in verse 27 of chapter 6, Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then he goes on and talks about that he is the bread of life. Look at verse 35 in John 6. I am the bread of life. Now, not this bread that the 5,000 ate. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Reminds you of the woman he met at the Samaritan well. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Boy, isn't that something? That's why Jesus later on says it's going to be worse for Capernaum than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Capernaum saw him. They saw the miracles. And yet, they did not believe. Verse 40 is really critical for Christianity. This is the will of my Father, that whoever looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. Now, some of the Jews in verses 41 and 42 say, hey, wait a minute, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? We, we know his father and mother. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And then Jesus says in verse 44, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day day. And then again in verse 48, I am the bread of life. And now he connects the Passover wilderness experience with what he had just done. Verse 49, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's talking about that he will be crucified. But some of the Jews, they had a big dispute among themselves. And so verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, what's really interesting here, after he has said these wonderful things, look at verse 66. This is all in John 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. In other words, they did not have faith that he was the Messiah that he was God, that the promises of the Old Testament were being fulfilled by him. So Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? 
And then Simon Peter answered him. And this is a part of a liturgy that we often sing. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is really a critical chapter because it shows you the purpose of miracles. How many times do we as pastors go to a hospital where maybe there's an infant who is near death and we pray to the Lord that that infant will regain health? In fact, not many years ago, there was an infant just a few months old and the only thing that would bring him back to health was a heart transplant. And I stood on the hospital ground seeing the helicopter arrive from hundreds of miles away with a new heart. And the doctor rushing in, I think it was like a 12-hour surgery. And right now that little boy is walking around the church, smiling. Wow. God did a miracle there. And yet I'm not sure that anyone who heard that immediately believes that Christianity is true. Because what makes a person come to faith is Romans 10 says, is hearing the word of God and the specific word of gospel. If you just hear law, which every other religion in the world teaches, you will not be saved because you're going to be under the impression that what I do is going to save me. And there's nothing you can do in order to be saved. Jesus does everything. So he gives food to the 5,000 plus, and people still deny him or get confused as what the sign is saying, thinking it's talking about, hey, we now have our prophet, the earthly king, the Moses, who will take care of the Romans, restore the temple, etc., etc. No. Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a heavenly kingdom. And when a person comes to faith, they only can do so through the power of the Holy Spirit as either the word or the sacraments are bestowed. That's what we believe, teach, and confess. That's why, for me, being Lutheran is no different than being scriptural. And so if anybody can find a miracle that moved someone to believe in Christianity, give me a ring. Email me at longgospel at longgospel101.com and I'll talk about it on Friday, Open Mic Friday. Tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz, we're going to talk about do adults like going to talk to pastors anymore or clergy? You may be surprised in that answer. It's the next issue of Long Gospel God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.